Okay, so this week we're starting this series called Ghost, and I want to teach you what the Bible has to say about who you really are, your true existence, and you are more than a body. I want you to prepare to write down a lot of notes because I'm going to be taking you through the scriptures, but unfortunately most of you have an image in your mind of like the Looney Tunes version of the afterlife, So Bugs Bunny gets hit by a train and then his spirit comes out of his Bugs Bunny body and then, and he's playing a harp and he goes all the way up and there's little Bugs Bunnies with, uh, with angels, you know, wings. And they're like, you know, looking and then you have that fairy tale fantasy. And then some of you have what I call the Billy Graham version of the afterlife, which is a heavy emphasis on heaven without the acknowledgement that heaven is not the final destination. Oh, somebody doesn't even have a theology to understand what I just said. Heaven's not the fun. What? What? How many of you are ready to dive in and take a look at what the scriptures have to say? Okay, let's start by this. You are more than your body. I need to show you what you really are. Turn your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 7. And the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Everybody say, I am a spirit. Now say, I have a body. Your body you have, but you are a spirit. Your body will turn to dust. Even your bones, given enough time, will turn to dust. Did you know that? Even your bones will turn to dust. So you have to understand that you are a spirit. Now, as I was preparing for this message, I was trying to wrap my head around all this, and I suddenly started thinking about myself as a baby. And I was laying in bed, and I was like, I used to be this big. Anybody ever thought about the fact that you used to be a baby, that your mom changed your poopy diapers? You had poopy diapers. Listen, and I was thinking about, and I was laying in bed, and I was like moving my arms. I was like, this is getting weird. I used to be a baby. And then I grew and got bigger and bigger. And, and, you know, I was just thinking about that. And then here's another one. Have you ever looked at yourself in the mirror for a long time and had that moment of depersonalization when you're like, who, who really is that? Come on, we got to get real honest. Am I the only one where you freaked yourself out looking at yourself? You're like, oh, I got, what is, who is that? I know who it is, but it, it doesn't feel like me, but it's me. Because your spirit is the hand animating the glove. Your body is the glove, but your spirit is is the hand inside the glove. Are you with me? And so, have you ever looked in your eyes long enough where you're trying to see your own soul? You're like, is there a soul? Is my soul somebody over here? Am I the only one that you're like, you freak yourself out? I'm like, is it, can I see my soul in there? Okay, so we all are trying to understand who we are, what we are, We're tr- but let me define it biblically for you. Now, you did not ask to be born. For my video game nerds, you spawned into this, into this planet. And, and, and here's another one. I remember when I was four years old, I remember I was playing under the covers and imagining, and then all of a sudden I went conscious, like fully realized, I'm alive. Anybody else have that moment where you, you, I was like playing under the covers and I'm like, I exist. I'm four years old. I'm a human. (laughs) Anybody else have that moment? And actually it was because I was under the covers and I had a hard time breathing and I was like, I can die. I'm alive. What existential crisis is this at four years old? So we all at different points have this acknowledgement of our existence and this awareness at some point in our development that we are something more than our bodies and that we exist in time and space, but simultaneously exist outside of it. Okay, stay with me. Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 12 says, and the dust returns to the earth, so your body returns to the earth, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. So I want to look at some more scriptures with you. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you 
completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, let's pick apart 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Say completely. Okay, when you tell your kids, go in the shower and wash your whole body. Because you know kids have a tendency. Some of you don't even wash your legs and you know who you are. <laughs> wash your, it's something completely. So I'm, try, <laughs> I'm trying to help you understand that there is more to you. It says, so may God sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit then there's a coordinating conjunction, and, and soul. Then there's another coordinating conjunction, and body, be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So coordinating conjunctions, how many English nerds remember this? Can you tell me what the other ones are? And, so, but, your, okay. I tested you, you failed. <laughs> So coordinating conjunctions combine two similar but different ideas in a series. So what happens is this. Your spirit is like your soul but different. And your soul is like your body and your spirit but different. And your body is like your soul and your spirit but different. So you have a soul, a spirit, and a body which means a triune, tri, the prefix meaning three. Tricycle is a bike with three wheels. Tri, trinity, means God the Father, the Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. It's triune nature. You see this in scripture. The old covenant temple has the holy of holies, the outer, the, the inner courts, and the outer courts, a triune nature. You see this repeated through the scriptures. So, now, as I take you a little bit further, we have to understand what is your spirit, what is your body, what is your soul, because you are a spirit, you are a soul, and you are a body, and as you are a body, your body contains a soul, which also contains your spirit, and your spirit interfaces with your soul and accesses this physical dimension through your body. Did I lose you yet? And so in order to legally access this dimension, you must have a body. In the beginning, God created Adam from the dust of the earth and he breathed into his nostrils and gave a spirit into that dirt and it became man. And so in order to legally access this world that God created, you must have a body. And your body is your vehicle by which you access this realm. But your body is much more important in the equation than you can ever imagine. And when we have Billy Graham evangelistic Christianity, we have an emphasis, not that Billy Graham was wrong, but a heavy emphasis on leaving your body and going to heaven. But Jesus in scripture emphasized the resurrection of your body and the time after heaven. Even though he acknowledged heaven and he spoke often about heaven, he emphasized the resurrection more than heaven. Oh, somebody here is getting their mind blown already. Or are you getting your spirit blown? I don't know. <laughs> okay, let's go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. When you look at the word spirit in the original Greek, it means pneuma. Pneuma refers to the concept of spirit or breath. But there are a few different meanings that you have. I want to unpack them for you. It means breath or wind. So the Holy Spirit is referred to as like a wind. Pneuma is also referred to as when you hear about the Holy Spirit, it's used metaphorically to talk about the life force within a person, the very essence of their identity. And so you have this Holy Spirit instances of being referred to as pneuma. And so um, let me go deeper. As you talk about the human spirit, it's this inner self. It's, it's um, when, when you hear about this, it's this inner self that's been breathed 
and imparted into your physical body by God. But also the last implication of the word pneuma is the spiritual realm or spiritual entities. And the best way that we can understand it in the limited construct of language is breath or wind. Are you with me? Okay. So in context, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, it's soul and body, but then you have pneuma, this non-physical dimension that's associated with consciousness, thought, and connection to God or the desire for connection with God. That is why you are sitting in your seat now in a physical location in church or you're watching by way of broadcast because there is an immaterial but very real part of you that desperately desires connection to God because God breathed your spirit and your spirit is desiring to be connected back to its source. Let me use water. Water evaporates and goes into the clouds and that it desires to go back to the rivers and streams where it came from. It desire, there's, this, there's this, this nature of water, that water, it's, it's, the, the, the water evaporates, but then it reforms and it's redistributed. There's something, there, it's a little esoteric and, and it's difficult to quite communicate, but God's breath leaves him as a being, it creates your spirit. And then therefore the very act of worship is us giving our breath back to him. So when you're singing, when you're speaking, you're using your breath to actually go back to the source by which the breath that created you placed you in your, does this make sense? Hebrews chapter four, verse 12. Let's look at this scripture. For the word of God is living and the word of God is active, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And when you push it into a being, a human being, it pierces to the division of soul and spirit and joints of, and marrow and discerning the thoughts and the intention of the heart. What? The Bible is the breath of God on paper. <laughs> And when the Bible is being redistributed through your breath, <laughs> it is like a sword that has the ability to be pushed into people and just like a sword would split your skin and split past your, through your muscle and split into your intestines and split into your spinal column, and separate each thing that has a different function within your body, so can the word of God, like a sword, be pushed into your being and begin to separate that which is your soul and functions within that dimension and realm and that which is your spirit and even begin to reveal the intentions of your heart. <sighs> you are a triune being and a physical surgeon can use a scalpel to split your body, but the word of God will split your being and begin to expose. Oh, so good. So you feel this with me? Which part of you is experiencing this? <laughs> I'm speaking and your body is hearing me your soul is dialoguing with me and your spirit is leaping for joy at the proclamation of God's truth. This is why you can never reduce me to a TED talker or a guru because they only have the ability to deal in soul and body. But through the word of God, I have the ability to divide even soul from spirit. They do temporal work. I do eternal work. <laughs> Come on, I'm bringing this. Some of you want deep. Just give Papa Sigs a chair and I'll go there. Job chapter 32, verse eight. But it is the spirit in man, the breath of the almighty, 
that makes him understand. Historically, the oldest book of your Bible, because the Bible is a book that consists of 66 books canonized, that means brought together. The oldest book historically is not Genesis, it's Job. And I love this because it seems to indicate that before these things get lost in translations through the generations, the earliest understanding of the way these things work is Job chapter 32, verse eight, which says, but it is the spirit of man, the breath of the almighty that makes him understand. So there we have evidence to suggest that your spirit, watch this, your parents procreated, no matter how gross this is to think about it, your parents procreated and they may have contributed to making your body, but that's only one part of you. The eternal part of you was the breath of God that was breathed into that body. Therefore, the sanctity of life, even if you were the product of rape, you were not produced by rape, you were produced by the breath of God. Even if you are the product of incest, you were not produced by incest, you were made by the breath of God. The smallest part of your identity is the dust that was formed by rape and incest, but that will pass away, and the promise of God, oh, I can't get ahead of myself, is that you will have a new body, and that body will have one maker, and that maker is God, that architect, we know his name. This is why we must preach the word of God. Zechariah chapter 12, verse one. The oracle of the word of the Lord concerning Israel, thus declares the Lord who stretched out the heavens and founded the earth and formed the spirit of man within him. So God is the author of your spirit. He created your spirit. Okay, and so it's formed inside of the man. There's, there's this connection. Now, can we go even deeper? God created humans in Genesis chapter one in his image and his likeness. And so the body is not seen as merely a vessel, but an integral part of God's creation. So the, the way to help you understand this is Jesus was speaking with an audience of Sadducees. Sadducees were the religious leaders within his Jewish society inside of Rome. And so the Sadducees only believed in the Torah. Now, the Torah gives a very limited explanation of the afterlife. It's not clear and it's not exacting. And so there was a lot of speculation about what happened instantly when you died. But the Sadducees did not believe in resurrection. So it was almost as if Jesus was showing up and he was saying, hey, I am God in flesh. I have the ability to tell you exactly what's gonna happen because I'm God. Does this make sense? Like, yo, I'm Jesus. I know you're seeing the physical dirt representation of me and I share half of my genes with that woman, Mary, but I'm also 100% God divinity inside of this physical body, and I can tell you what happens when you die. Would you like to hear what Jesus says happens when we die? Because if you serve Jesus as your Savior, then you must not just serve him, but you must submit to what he says concerning what happens when we die. But before we go there, I want to talk about your physical body. Your physical body matters eternally, not just here on this side. The incarnation of Jesus in John chapter 1, verse 14 helps us understand that because Jesus was fully God and fully man, he had a human body that, that points to the importance and the significance of it. And then when he died, three days later, he rose again with that same resurrected body, and he had nail-scarred hands, which means there was a translation of the, the effects of what happened in this life to the next. In a perfected state, but still in a state that, that proves that he was here. So the doubting Thomas 
that's meeting him saying, Jesus, I want to believe this is you in front of me, but whoa, this is weird. (laughs) Come on, don't act like you would be like, oh, Jesus, it's you. You'd be like, what in the world? (laughs) His own followers were struggling, and he said, hey, come over here and touch. Come over here and feel my nail-scarred hands. So in the same way, at the end of the story, new heaven, new earth, you are going to actually, come on, video game nerds, respawn. (laughs) And you are going to be met, and you're not going to go through the process of being a baby into full development. You will actually be resurrected, and you will be joined together, your spirit, with a resurrected version of your body that is no longer susceptible to entropy, decay, decline, or disease. And what's crazier, and I'm going to show you in a few moments, is you will carry on the existence. And this is what got me so excited to preach this message. I think about my hands and all the people that I've laid hands on to pray for. And there's going to come a moment where I'm joined together with a glorified, resurrected version of this body. And I say, these are those domino revival hands. These are those hands that cast out demons. These are those hands that grabbed the word of God and boldly declared it like there's something about it. Am I helping you understand a greater reality of what it means to be a believer? We are not going to be floating in white robes, playing harps. Get that out of your mind. You are not Bugs Bunny. But then it goes a little bit deeper. We are training for reigning. So whatever you do in this life is a down payment on what you get to steward in the new earth. And if you're a low-count punk, afraid of what people think about you here in this earth, I don't even know if you make it to the next earth. But if you know how to subdue nations, if you know how to build the kingdom of heaven here on earth, if you know how to turn every venue into a church here, if you come on somebody, you are training for reigning and you are actually securing your spot in the hierarchy of the new earth. Oh, I just went too deep for somebody. Let me break it down. Let me go a little bit deeper. Are you still with me? Okay. Now, what happens right after you die? Let me tell you what Philippians chapter 1, verse 21 says. For to me, (laughs) think about how sassy this is. Some of you got to learn how to read with the Holy Spirit. Because this is a man that was subjected to possible death on a daily basis. This was a guy being tormented, beat, in prison, This is a man that, like, he's walking around, and he's like, hey, 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 to me, to me, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Think about how sassy Paul was. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Hey, if I stay alive, I'm going to get it done for Jesus. If I'm going to stay alive, I'm, I'm coming to load in. We're having church. If I'm alive, we're having church. If I'm alive, we're we're going and preaching the gospel in those streets. But if I die, well, that's good too. Yet, which I shall choose, I can't even tell you. Look what he says about death, which I shall choose. Oh, devil, you can't kill me because I lay my life down. (laughs) Oh, I choose it. I choose it. (laughs) Christians, come on, you must be new around here. Christians don't ever die. We just choose to Lay our life down and go on into the next reality, awaiting the final reality. Woo! Cancer can't kill a Christian. You must be new around here. Cancer can't kill a Christian. You must be new around here. You must be new. Christians don't die. It's a toenail that we clip. This body's a toenail. I clip that toenail. Saying who I am? You ain't looking at me. You're looking at the toenail clipping. Come on, it don't hurt to get a haircut. So for Christians, it doesn't hurt to die. I'm dead in Christ. 
So it don't hurt to get a haircut. It don't hurt to clip your nails. So it don't hurt to die because I already chose to die. <laughs> oh, it's so good. It's almost like nobody's ever preached the Bible to y'all in America. What? Don't you feel anxiety going away? Matter of fact, the more alive your body is, the more anxiety you encounter. <laughs> this is what Jesus says. He's got Sadducees who don't believe in the resurrection. He's got all these Jewish listeners that want to know what happened when they die. And then Jesus has an audience of potentially Romans that don't even understand what's happening at all. And he begins to explain. I'm going to tell you what happens when you die. This is Luke chapter 16, verse 19 through 31. He says, okay, listen, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. By the way, I'm going to stop asking people to lunch and I'm going to say, would you like to feast sumptuously? What if that's a new V1 thing? Let us feast sumptuously. <laughs> that's how you know someone's a Bible nerd. And he feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate laid a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the, the, the angels to Abraham's side. Some translations say Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and he was buried. And watch, he was buried, comma, and in Hades. His body, one part of him was buried. The other part in Hades. Do you see it? The Bible always makes a distinction about the different aspects of what you are. Being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham from far off and Lazarus at his side. This is the poor man that he passed up, the man covered in sores, the man he never helped. And he's, now listen, listen, this is Jehovah Sassy. Lazarus is cuddled up to Abraham, just living his best life now in paradise, looking across the, gate, the great chasm into Hades, looking at that rich guy going, what's up? Oh, I'm just chilling with Father Abraham. What are you doing? <laughs> Jesus was such a, an incredible teacher. So he just snuggled up. Oh, I'm just chilling with, my, with Uncle Abraham over here. Now look, then he called out, the other man called out from Hades, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus. Send him to dip the finger, the guy that's next to you. Send him to dip a finger in water and cool my tongue for I'm in anguish in these flames. What do we extract from this? The rich man knew who he was and he knew who Lazarus was. When you die, you will remember your name. When you die, you will retain your identity. When you die, you will know other people. You don't go into some abyss. You don't go into some unconscious, dark reality. You go to two places, either heaven or hell, either paradise or Hades. This is what Jesus is saying. There are two different places separated by a large chasm and you retain your identity and you retain the knowledge of those that you knew before you, you died. Now watch what he says in response to this because he's looking for anything. So look, he's experiencing the flames of Hades and in desperation he's saying, do something just to momentarily make this pain go away, which means that you have a capacity to feel that's separate than your body. And what he's saying is, my body is buried, but this other part of me, the eternal part of me, is now experiencing pain. And then it says this, child, remember that in your lifetime, you received your good things and Lazarus in like manner, bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. 
And besides all this, between us and you is this great chasm, and it's been fixed. Everybody say fixed. In order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. Somebody say none. Do not believe any minister who says that they are having conversations with those who have died. Jesus himself said, we do not cross that chasm. We do not have that dimension of authority. And I will tell you this, they're not talking to Moses. They're not talking to Elijah. They are talking to demons impersonating those people. When you die, that chasm is fixed and you do not have the designated authority to cross it. And Jesus Christ himself encountering in the transfiguration was a sign that he was seeing Moses for the fulfillment of the law and Elijah for the fulfillment of the prophets. And it was figurative in order to substantiate Christ as Messiah. It was not intended that he would receive information from Moses and Elijah. Matter of fact, he was demonstrating the fulfillment of what Moses and Elijah had said. And so any prophet or person claiming to be a prophet that gets information from these people is a liar and a charlatan, and they are using their platform to perpetuate the doctrine of demons. I have to say it because in your pursuit of the prophetic, you will find perversion. Because these, all these dimensions have rules and I've been in the game for a long time. And sometimes I'm not the flashiest pastor or preacher and people will go in search of those that tantalate and stimulate. But let me just tell you this, I've been in the game for a long time. These rules have dimensions and these dimensions have rules. Do you hear what I just said? These rules have dimensions, these dimensions have rules. You know what witchcraft is? Witchcraft is when you begin to use your spirit to try to illegally enter and do things within this dimension that you should not be allowed to do. Astral projection is when you take your umbilical cord that's tethered and you try to leave your body without dying. You cannot astral project without operating within a realm of sorcery or witchcraft and that's not prophetic seeing, it's perversion of the rules that we are given by God. And I might have gone too deep for some of you, but right now people don't understand and they're getting in, in, engaged in practices and the devil's saying, yes, come on, come on out. He says, I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house then. So now the rich man's saying, okay, if you can't stop my torment, then I beg you, I warn you, then go to my father's house and tell my brothers, I have five brothers, tell them, warn them, lest they come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear from them. And what he was saying is Moses and the prophets are recorded in scripture. They have the word of God. If Let them receive from the word of God. And watch, I'm gonna go even deeper on this whole stupidity about hearing from dead saints and dead prophets and people. Look what he says. He says, for if they have them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets from scripture, neither will they be convinced if anyone should rise from the dead. So if they didn't listen to him in the form of scripture, Jesus himself says they wouldn't even listen if they were raised from the dead. So why would Jesus give you permission to hear from them after death? Foolishness. But to go even bigger than that, can I go beyond that? Hades is so real and the torment is so real that the rich man says, okay, okay, if you can't help me, if this chasm is too great to cross, please send somebody to speak the word to my five brothers because they cannot come here. Some of you have friends that died that are literally in hell saying, I wish I would have told everybody I know not to come here because I can't ever get out. Do you understand? 
It's irrevocable. That's why I sold my house. That's why I cashed out my retirement. That's because once I got a deep revelation of the reality of what I'm telling you right now, I couldn't think of a more noble cause for my life than to tell every single person the message of Jesus Christ to stop as many of your spirits from going to this place that is irrevocably eternal. That's why we can't waste our time with these divisions in the body of Christ. Can we unite on Jesus? Can we unite on the cross? Can we unite on the gospel? And listen, it grieves me that there's 10 million people here in New York City that still don't know him. It grieves me that they've received the false Jesus. It grieves me that they think they're a Christian because they went to church or got baptized as a baby. It's foolishness. Sheol the place of the dead. That's Old Covenant, New Testament, a place of bliss, Abraham's bosom, and a place of torment, Hades. Conscious in either one, fully aware of who you are. Permanence, no ability to go back, no reincarnation of Hinduism. No universalism of being a good person. We all get in. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the life. Apart from me, you are nothing. I am the vine. Jesus. Keith Green said, you know, it's funny because all of the world religions acknowledge Jesus as a way but only Jesus says, I am the way. So if they all acknowledge Jesus as a way and he says, I am the way, then Jesus must be the only way. <laughs> Jesus referred to heaven often. Matthew chapter four, verse 17, the kingdom of heaven, he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 12, for great is your reward in heaven, in heaven, in. Everybody say in. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 and 21, Jesus teaches about laying up treasures in heaven. It's a destination. John chapter 14, verse 1 through 4, he says, I, if it were not so, there's so many mansions in my Father's house. If it were not so, I would not have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. So he goes, he leaves to go prepare a place. Matter of fact, what will really mess with you is that he was bodily resurrected and ascended to heaven, which means that a physical human being with human DNA is seated at the right hand of the father in heaven, which really should help you rethink what you think heaven is. Oh, some of you are like, I need a nap after this message. Luke chapter 15, verse 17, Jesus speaks of this joy that happens in heaven when just one sinner repents. Jesus, I need you to help. I need to help you understand how real this is. That if just one of you repents and accepts me, this is what he says in Luke chapter 15, verse seven, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 righteous people with no repentance. So in other words, Lazarus dies. He's now next to Abraham. He can see. He can see over the chasm. He can't cross it, but he can see it into Hades. And he sees the rich man. The rich man in Hades, tormented, can see across the chasm. And he can see Lazarus, but he also can see his brothers. Heaven can see when a sinner repents because heaven starts to rejoice. See, we are the only ones with limited visibility of dimensions. Oh, do you want me to keep going or should I end it? 
We are limited in our visibility of dimensions because we have a physical body. But when the Holy Spirit regenerates our spirit and comes to dwell in our spirit, he gives us gifts that allow us to see into the spiritual realm. <laughs> gifts are like glasses. He gives you the ability to access realms that you did not have permission to access when you are spiritually dead. But a witch or a warlock is somebody that tries to see into a realm without the Holy Spirit giving him the gift and the permission to do so. And you're not seeing, you're being given information by familiar spirits who are seeing on your behalf and lying to you. And psychic mediums are true and accurate because there's networks of demons in that realm feeding them information. And so an accurate prophet can still be a false prophet. <laughs> Y'all, <laughs> come on now. I'm doing this to show you, if you wanna go into the deep end of the pool with me, make sure you know how to swim. Because meekness is not weakness. And just because I haven't said anything isn't because I don't have an opinion. It's because I don't fight out of my weight class and you don't want the smoke. So if you want to know my opinion about things, I'm going to speak to the word of God, not, a, not to a person. Because God is, is doing something in the midst of V1 and I'm not, and, and moving trains don't stop for barking dogs. So when I speak to the prophetic dimension, this is a, an environment that's familiar to me for many years. But what I want to say to you is this. Every interaction that you have, heaven and hell, are literally being decided for somebody. Every interaction that you have, either angels and demons. The New Testament says that it's possible to entertain angels unaware, which means that they are interdimensional beings that have the ability by God to manifest in this realm so visibly that you think you're talking to another human. But that permission is given by God and they dare not use it without his permission. So angels must be submitted and unsubmitted angels turned into demons. Come on, somebody. And so what I wanna help you understand as we come to a close now, is there are no ghosts leaving the bodies of people and floating around in the atmospheres of your life. And, and let me tell you why. Because when you leave your physical body, it is either one of two worlds that God described through Jesus, that's it. And then if you are in a place of paradise, which Jesus told the man hanging next to him, surely tonight you will be in paradise with me. He was speaking of this place. And then we're in this place awaiting as the world goes through a process and then God brings a new world. And then it says that Jerusalem descends into this new earth and then you show up with a glorified body to rule and reign. Can you imagine? I can't wait for those worship services. And I can't wait for the moment on the other side of all of this where all of a sudden, I'm like, man, do you remember when we were in Queens? Do you remember driving me, Alex, to church? Do you remember when we were just doing whatever we could to create a place where people can encounter God? Those are the same hands that drove that car. This is the, do you remember when you were serving in kids and the Holy Spirit came in and they started speaking in tongues and look, they're grown now. Look at them with all their glorified bodies. <laughs> There's something bigger. There's something at play. Don't get your eyes so fixed on the temporal that you miss the eternal. Don't, don't get your eyes so fixed on what's happening. It said that this man was covered in boils and poor, but in the next life, he was wealthy. In the next life, he was blessed. In the next life, there was something else. It was saying, man, you didn't understand who was who. You were looking at by the wrong metric. So listen. Get your eyes focused on the spiritual realm. Come on, stand to your feet with me across every location. I want to show you something. We, we say this term holy. We sing it. Holy means separate. Think about this. There's Hades, 
and there's paradise and there's a chasm that divides them. And so holy means separate. Holy means that they are separate. So when you come into the holiness of God, what you're saying is lust and perversion, addiction, depression, that functions in the culture of this world. But to be holy is to be in this other place. And that's why Jesus said, heaven come. The kingdom of heaven is now invaded. And one of the biggest indicators that you are going to heaven is that you facilitate heaven coming to you. One of the biggest indicators, one of the evidences that you are going to heaven is that heaven is constantly going to you. Can I explain? Jesus said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is, as it is in heaven. If you can't think about doing it here in heaven, it won't be allowed in heaven. And so as you align your life with the way that heaven acts, then you have access to heaven. Jesus gave you access through the blood, but then he takes you through a process called sanctification where he is training you for citizenship of heaven. And so if you can't think about lying, stealing, cheating, if you can't think about sex and perversion happening in heaven, then don't do it here on earth because we are training for reigning. We are training for another realm. And so as you begin to become a student of heaven, you colonize your soul. You take even your mind. It says, be not conformed to this world. Doesn't it make more sense? Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Why? Because there's a chasm between your spirit and your body called your soul. And the, and the goal is to get your soul to become more in the direction of your spirit instead of your soul trying to take your spirit in the direction of your body. And see, what happens is you're training your soul for the things of the spirit. And so then you say, I don't feel, come on, you're your soul is the place. I don't feel like praising him, but I am not going to let this part of me rule. My spirit is alive and inside of my spirit is the dwelling of the Holy Spirit. And I will worship because I'm telling my feelings what ought to happen right now. My body desperately wants to have sex, but, and my soul is really depressed and can think of a lot of reasons why I should temporarily satisfy myself but the eternal part of me is alive saying flesh shut up soul submit spirit worship in truth come on somebody this is the revelation of who you are if you learn how to worship in this realm you will be caught up in paradise where you worship and if it feels awkward to worship here, you might not be authorized to worship there. We have to make their normal here so that it's an easy transition from here to there. It's about aligning with the cultures. And a lot of times when I'm offending you and I'm preaching, it's because the way that we do things in heaven is completely different than the way that we do things here. And I'm only offending the most temporary part of you. <laughs> All right, I don't want to pray for you. Now, here's what I want to ask you, though. Do you know definitively that you have accepted Christ and that the moment that you die, that you're going to be in paradise? The moment that you die, this is where I belong. Heaven is my home. Or do you think that there's even an inkling of a possibility of torment, even an inkling of a possibility of flame? Because if, if there's even one iota, one shred of doubt across every campus and everybody who can hear me, we're going to deal with it right now. Okay, I got a crazy revelation. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says, confess with your mouth believe in your heart that he is the savior and you will be saved want me to blow your mind confess with your mouth what is that your physical body 
get your physical body to confess that he is Messiah then believe in your heart. What is that? Your soul. Get your soul to submit to him as Savior. And once your body and your soul submits to him as Savior, then you will, your spirit will come alive. You will be saved. It's about bringing your entire being into alignment and saying, God, save all of me. And then you'll be joined together on the other side of heaven with your body. And you'll say, ah, how you like me now, devil? I made it. Because here's my prayer for all of you. I want you to be in heaven. And I want somebody to be, because this is how I often think about life. And here's how I make decisions. Because we're about to pray Romans chapter 10, verse 9. And then we're going to do communion. I often think to myself, I'm walking heaven. Somebody's like, hey, Pastor Mike, is that you? You have so much hair. <laughs> I'm gonna be like, I'll take it out of my ponytail. Yes, it's me. <laughs> Come on, somebody. It's heaven. Come on. And say, yes, it is me. That was so hard to tell. You were so ugly on earth. <laughs> Praise God, Julie liked you. <laughs> Remember that time we were in the, that, that bar that you turned into a church? Remember you preached that crazy long sermon and I was so hungry for burritos? Well, I'm dead now. <laughs> Didn't that trivialize it? Well, I'm dead now. <laughs> and I realized you were doing the most important thing in my whole life. And I'm kind of sorry for being mad that you went long every once in a while. Because in heaven, all we do is what you did with us. <laughs> Okay, that's, that was for me. That wasn't for you. That was for me. Um, <laughs> hey, um, thank you for telling me the truth. Because when I died and opened my eyes in paradise and was rejoined with my grandmother who had been praying for me. Oh, and by the way, Pastor Mike, I want you to meet all my family because I finally was bold enough to tell all of them to and we're all here together <laughs> I got chills all over me that's the plan of God King David who had an Old Testament understanding of death he still had enough of an awareness prophetically of how God operates that he said this baby died and this baby can no longer come to me but I can go to this baby Oh, what a joy heaven will be when I'm joined together with the two babies that Julie and I lost. And I say, I never had the privilege to raise you. But the Lord, the Lord knew sovereignly what he was doing. And here we are together again. We lose nothing with Jesus. We only gain. We only gain. To be persecuted is a compliment we gain. To struggle for him is a compliment we gain. And then even to die, we gain. So who wants to die to self with me? Who wants to step through this flesh body? And who wants to say yes to the spirit across every location? If you want to definitively surrender to Christ, just lift both hands towards heaven. Say this with me. Say, Heavenly Father, I submit and surrender my will and my ways. Wash me with your blood. Renew a right spirit within me. I give you my life, all that I am, my body, my soul, my spirit in surrender. Have your way. Give me boldness to preach the gospel to everyone so that none are lost. Holy Spirit, empower me in Jesus' name. Somebody shout amen. Come on, let's just celebrate for 10 seconds right now. 
Heaven is celebrating. Heaven can see what just happened. Heaven knows what's happening. There's a celebration. Somebody's Okay, come on, I want to do this right now. Everybody should have communion. Grab your communion. It's going to mean something different now. It's going to mean something different. Julie, there's a healing moment for you in this. Just go ahead and take, peel back that layer of the wafer in the cup. Yeah, come on, Jules, just come up here with me because I just got a vision. Um, as we get ready to do communion and we're going to end service with this, I, um, I had this vision of the blood of Jesus being spilled. we're going to do this in remembrance of him as we get ready to close. You ready? So when Jesus died, blood left his body. And as that blood left his body, his death became our life. As Jesus died, his death became our resurrection. So as we do this, what we're actually saying is, no matter how tragic the death, no matter how much blood and gore, because we look through human eyes and we say injustice. We look through human eyes and we say, why them, God, they were so good. We say, why a death like that? But I tell you, even a lifetime of suffering is yet a moment, a grain of sand on the vast shores of eternity. And it doesn't compare to the comfort that awaits us in the arms of our Savior. And so when you drink this cup, when you eat it, what, it's crazy because even my wafer literally broke into pieces as I pulled it out. But it's a reminder that his body was broken for us. And so as we eat this, what we're saying is, it was done forever. When you're joined together with your glorified body, you will never get sick again, ever. You will never have a wrinkle. You'll never have a cough. You'll never have a gray hair again. You'll never wake up with a sore, but basically everything that happens after 40, <laughs> it never happened because one body was broken so that all of our bodies could be made whole and we can go back to the original plan in Genesis but this time Eve won't screw it up well we're Eve and we're Adam so right now I want to across every location just take the body now as we celebrate his body being broken Some of you may be even receiving a supernatural healing in your body right now as you're taking this communion. Some of you might have pain leaving your body right now. Some of you might have endometriosis. Some of you might have just tumors and cysts dissolving right now under the sound of my voice. Some, I believe it's happening. As you took the body of Christ right now, many of you are being healed right now. And now we take the blood just one drop of blood, the finished work of the cross. Let's take it now. Just as you drink this and it goes into your body and part of it gets metabolized to become your body. You know, your body breaks it down into pieces and rebuilds it into you. When you take communion, it's an acknowledgement of the broken body of Jesus being reassimilated into the true you. 
<laughs> Let me pray over you. And then across every location, let's just take like 30 seconds in remembrance and just sing holy, just 30 seconds. Julie, will you just pray this last prayer? Father, we thank you for your blood. God, we thank you. Lord, we thank you, God, that you are still healing, that your blood has not lost power. God, that the same body that was resurrected is the same power that resurrects and heals our body. And so, Father, we thank you in advance for healing. We thank you in advance for miracles. We thank you in advance for wombs opening up, God. We thank you in advance for tumors dissolving and blood levels becoming normal, God. We thank you, God, in advance, Lord, because you have already done the finished work of the cross. It is finished. Thank you, thank you, thank you for shedding your blood and the punishment that we deserved. And God, we believe your healing is for today. Your blood is still flowing today with power and might in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Come on, let's just take 30 seconds. Holy